I'm Evan Knappen, and welcome to Gun Lawyer. So I want to make it clear that uh, I would advise that you never become a plaintiff for the Brady Center to prevent gun violence. And that's because uh, a recent case here, or relatively speaking, that I thought was pretty interesting that really shows just what can happen. Uh, this was out of the Colorado Sun uh, newspaper. It's an article by uh, Jesse Paul. And what it says is Colorado law makes it very difficult and financially perilous to sue the gun industry. And you better believe that it does. And this is like a lesson learned that you know, unless you just want to be a pawn of gun control and don't care about uh, your own finances, uh, I don't think it's such a hot idea. Listen to this. So in this article, it says that Sandy and Lonnie Phillips wanted to hold gun companies that sold ammunition, tear gas, and armor to their 24-year-old daughter's murderer accountable. And instead, they've ended up having to file for bankruptcy. Now, you know, I can feel for any anybody who has lost their child. It's terrible. And honestly, I mean, I feel horrible for these people. But to attempt to blame the inanimate objects and the people that produce these because they're being, by a very small, minuscule number of folks, get used criminally and then try to hold the company responsible, it just is nothing less than an anti-gun ploy to try to sue the gun makers, manufacturers, sellers out of business by abusing the tort system. So in response to this tactic that the antis were using and still are attempting to use of trying to sue our Second Amendments out of existence... Colorado passed a law that said you could not bring, essentially, lawsuits of this nature against manufacturers, dealers, etc. And yet, despite this law, the uh, Phillips still attempted to sue under some very weak theory that obviously failed to still you know let the Brady Center have their publicity stunt out of it obviously and to file the litigation etc and they spent as they say here in the art they lost three years of our life fighting this and it says they were like being re-victimized and I can see that and what happened was uh, the, the law in, Col in Colorado has a provision that says if you bring such an action and, it, and you lose, you get dismissed, you're responsible to pay attorney's fees and costs. And guess what? They ended up losing, and they had to pay $200,000 in attorney's fees and costs for bringing this action that was an utter failure and they should have known 
that it would be a failure. And what's interesting here, if you dig into this article, because you don't want to make a big deal, you see, about just how bad the Brady Center acted in this regard. But if you dig down, you'll find where it actually says, deep in it, that the Phillips 2014 lawsuit, this is quoting correct from the article, was brought in conjunction with and at the urging of the Brady Center to prevent gun violence. And it said the couple, they were pushing here, you see, to try to require businesses to take steps to prevent their products from being purchased by people who would use them in mass shootings. There you go. That's how you know. I even going to do this, but anyway, that was their supposedly their laudable goal. You know, their optimistic, idealistic, pie in the sky idea here, and we'll try to do it through the tort system. And so they get sold this bill of goods, right? And 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 Phillips say is in the article. The Phillips say they trusted the Brady Center to have their back in the lawsuit, but they weren't fully made aware of the financial consequences. They faced before ultimately being forced to shoulder the defendant's legal costs themselves. You see, Brady didn't join in the lawsuit with them as a plaintiff. It's just these two were the only plaintiffs. And what's really amazing is, and the article goes on and says this here, that the judge overseeing the case apparently expected Brady to help the Phillips as well here it says and this is quoting from the judge it may be presumed that whatever hardship is imposed upon the individual plaintiffs by these awards against them may be ameliorated by the sponsors of this action in their name well guess what no such luck sorry judge brady ain't paying for it the folks who lost their daughter, who were convinced to bring this, and who, as they say, weren't advised as to the risks that were involved, they get to pay, and they get to declare bankruptcy because they couldn't afford to pay the costs and fees to the defendants. So, you know, this falls under the old... Uh, adage of uh, F around and find out because that's exactly what happened to them okay here's this law in Colorado that says you can't bring these actions and if you bring the actions and you lose you're responsible to pay attorneys fees and costs but somehow they thought this was still a great idea gee I wonder if they were explained all the ramifications before they did this or do you think that uh, Brady wanted to just go full steam ahead anyway and got these folks as plaintiffs and look what happened to them? Hey, this is, uh, this is the deal. And, of course, the antis now, they want to repeal these protection laws. They want to repeal the ability to get attorney's fees and costs. But you know what? Attorney's fees and costs are a significant aspect of dissuading folks from bringing lawsuits that never should be brought and why should you have to pay to defend for 
a lawsuit that should not have been brought, that you are, in fact, exonerated from. Why do you get stuck with your legal bills? Because some political organization wants to try to go after you and your industry by burying you in litigation. Shouldn't you get attorney's fees when those efforts fail? I think loser pays is an excellent idea. And if loser pays not only in civil, loser pays should also exist in criminal, but it doesn't. It doesn't. You get charged by the government, you fight it out, you spend life savings defending yourself, your reputation, and you get acquitted, government reimburse you for your fees? No. Oh, sorry. Sorry. You know, you're telling me that these attacks on gun owners, these horrible gun laws that you and I have discussed over and over again, these political motivated laws that have no impact on crime, that have these draconian penalties that screw over law-abiding citizens where they face enormous amounts of state prison time that's mandatory, and they fight it, and they win it, but they can't get reimbursed for their fight? And it shouldn't be limited just to criminal actions. What about just licensing actions? The way New Jersey abuses the individual by putting hurdle after hurdle and having abuse of denials that in my firm we win frequently, overturn these denial of Second Amendment rights, and yet New Jersey has no recourse for fees to be paid by the loser, the loser being the state of New Jersey. If loser had to pay, if that issuing authority was responsible to pay your fees, you'd see a hell of a lot less of unjustified denials being made, that's for sure, when they know that they're responsible. In other jurisdictions where they actually have that, such as New Hampshire, I actually had a case in New Hampshire where there was an unjustified denial of a carry license by the chief, and that chief had to personally pay, personally pay, the attorney's fees for denying Second Amendment rights to my client. That's why you don't see too many issues like that in New Hampshire. You're going to deny, you better be solid in your basis for denial. You better really be justified, because if you're not and you lose, you can be responsible. But not in New Jersey, just the opposite. This is why you see so much abuse take place, folks. The abuse of the gun owner the abuse of our Second Amendment rights, and anti-gun states have tried to stack it up. New Jersey even recently passed a law to try to get around the federal protection that the industry has from lawsuits, to try to couch it under consumer protection and some other legal theory and set up in a whole entire department and through the Attorney General just to sue and go after gun companies and manufacturers and sellers all through America so they can export their tyranny, export it beyond Jersey to the rest of America. And luckily, uh, that law has already been enjoined 
with a nice win by uh, NSSF. So this is what we see. This is part of the war on our rights. And let me tell you, in terms of the war on our rights in Jersey, you need to belong to the Association of New Jersey Rifle and Pistol Clubs. I am proud that they are a sponsor of Gun Lawyer, ANJRPC.org. Go to their website. They have full-time paid lobbyists in Trenton. They're fighting and sponsoring and currently right now litigating, and I might say successfully even, in federal court on the carry killer anti-civil rights bill. They're litigating right now over assault weapons and magazines. Just had that case consolidated in federal court. They're litigating in state court in case my firm has even, MU. The MU case. We're challenging this arbitrary and vague licensing denial of the what we call the all-inclusive weasel clause, the catch-all of so-called not in the interest of public health, safety, welfare, whatever the hell that even means, right? We're battling that out on constitutional ground. And the association is there, the Association of Jersey Rifle and Pistol Clubs. And I want to tell you that not only when you join do you do a part of, of what every gun owner should become here, and that is helping in this fight, but you get many great benefits from the association. You get the ability to get their news releases through email. So you're getting immediate, uh, up-to-the-moment action news releases. You get an outstanding printed newsletter. Let me tell you, one of the, the best printed newsletter on New Jersey gun rights in the state of New Jersey. And that is a member benefit. That publication, keeping you informed, is excellent. If you care about your gun rights, you need to get that and you need to read that. You also know that you're part of the fight, helping to fund the battle for Second Amendment rights. So please, join the Association of Jersey Rifle and Pistol Clubs. Do your part. Make sure you're a member. It's the least you can do in New Jersey. Hey, when we get back, I have some really interesting letters and some important information, particularly over questions that never end regarding concealed carry in New Jersey. For over 30 years, attorney Evan Knappen has seen what rotten laws do to good people. That's why he's dedicated his life to fighting for the rights of America's gun owners a fearsome courtroom litigator fighting for rights, justice, and freedom. An unrelenting gun rights spokesman, tearing away at anti-gun propaganda to expose the truth. Author of six best-selling books on gun rights, including Knappen on Gun Law, a bright orange gun law Bible that sits atop the desk of virtually every lawyer, police chief, firearms dealer, and savvy gun owner. That's what made Evan Knappen America's gun lawyer. Gun laws are designed to make you a criminal. Don't become the innocent victim of a vicious anti-gun legal system. This is the guy you want on your side. 
Keep his name and number in your wallet and hope you never have to use it. But if you live, work, or travel with a firearm, the deck is already stacked against you. You can find him on the web at evannappen.com or follow the link on the Gun Lawyer resource page. Evan Knappen, America's Gun Lawyer. You're listening to Gun Lawyer with attorney Evan Knappen. Available wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hey, welcome back to Gun Lawyer. I'm Eben Knappen. Thank you for being a dedicated listener. Thank you for subscribing to this podcast, which is free. You can get the Gun Lawyer podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Spotify, Apple, CBS, iHeart, you name it. We're there. And make sure you subscribe and listen as I give you the up-to-date info and Heads up on legal issues and things going on affecting our rights left and right here. Now, of course, I have a focus on New Jersey, but not only New Jersey. But New Jersey, you see, is a focal point for the battle in our gun rights. It's like the front lines of our gun rights because New Jersey becomes the place where they test out all their wacky anti-gun laws, you see, and then good people suffer. And I don't want to see any of you suffer. My mission is to try to help every law-abiding gun owner in New Jersey not become a victim of New Jersey gun laws. Because that's what gun laws do. They make you into a victim. The antis like to talk about victims of gun violence, gun violence victims. Like there's some distinction over the violence. It's not gun violence. It's criminal violence. But I'll tell you what is gun-specific. Gun laws. And honest, good-working, hard-working people, they become victims of gun laws. Now, that does distinguish out. New Jersey specializes in it. So I don't want to see you become a victim. And here's some warnings and some important things to be aware of. And I've gotten a number of questions. First of all, one of the things we talked about last show was about uh, duty to inform. There's a duty to inform the officer if you have a carry permit and you're stopped. Now, I want to point out something interesting here. The duty to inform, and I meant to mention it last time, technically the duty to inform does not take effect until July. That is true. However, however, the law for duty to inform has been codified and placed into the statutes. So if you go and look up on the New Jersey website, for example, where they list the New Jersey statutes, you're going to see duty to inform law right there. If you go Googling the newest versions of New Jersey law, you're going to see the law that says there's a duty to inform. And you know what you're not going to see? You're not going to see anything that says, oh, this doesn't take effect yet until July. Now, legally, it's true. It doesn't take effect till July. But the problem is, how are the police going to know this? How are the police going to know this when they simply look at the statutes, putting it out as codified law already? And if you want to know why it's not in the statutes, you look at how the bill was written. Anything that got put in the statutes was either modifying an old statute or it had to say new section. 
But the last section that said when the dates were effective didn't say new section, so it doesn't get put into the codified laws. And the only way you'd know is if you're actually smart enough to dig into the chapter laws. But that's not what law enforcement, they're not researching through chapter laws to find it. They're just looking at the statutes. Oh, look, there's duty to inform now, see? New laws, there it is. doesn't say anything about when it takes place or doesn't. And even though, sure, we could win, I'm confident, over any one charge, I don't think you want to be charged. And I also want to say that the problem in New Jersey is police are not used to individuals yet carrying guns. The mentality of New Jersey is going to be one of, why do you have a gun? And if you're stopped and you're a law-abiding citizen, you have your carry permit and you're carrying your gun, and you don't say you have a gun and the officer sees a gun, I don't want you inadvertently being injured or harmed, having the officer take measures, thinking you're a threat. Just putting aside the legal requirement. If you're lawfully carrying and you have it on your person and you're in New Jersey, I'm just going to say from a practical point of view, you get stopped by an officer, your safest course of action, honestly, is let the officer know that you are lawfully carrying and that you have your permit. Because in July, that's going to be required by law. Right now, it appears that it's the law, even though technically it's not the law. But just putting aside the law, you don't need to surprise that officer or yourself when he sees a gun on you that wasn't brought to his attention up front. Think about it logically, folks. Keep your hands in plain view on the steering wheel and tell the officer about your carrying. Look, normally I get it. You want to keep your mouth shut about everything and not talk about anything, which is all good advice. But in this narrow situation when you're a licensed carrier and you're in that stop, especially... You know, at night somewhere in a, on a highway, you really want to risk your life over this going south because you didn't want to tell them that you're legal to be carrying? Try to use a little logic here, too. So these are the things that are out there, but technically it's not <clears throat> in effect yet, but I'm going to tell you as a practice, it's your best bet. And if that's your practice and that's what you set your mind to, then come July, you don't even have to think about whether it's July or June or August or May. You just have a practice in mind when you're in New Jersey of how you're going to act. And then you don't get in trouble under the law and you stay protected and not a victim of any type of uh, accident or inadvertent tragedy, right? Think about that. Now, one of the letters I received here, <clears throat> where I get lots of letters, this is one that I think is of great interest, from Paul, regarding defensive ammo. Hello, Mr. Knappen. Can you tell me which ammo is legal to carry hollow point or Hornaday critical defense ammo? So this is a question we get a lot about. What about hollow nose? What about defensive ammo? when you carry with a carry license? <coughs> the answer 
is that hollow nose is restricted in New Jersey, and it's narrowly restricted. You can have it at your home or place where you purchase it or at the range, but hollow nose itself you cannot carry even with a carry license outside of the exemptions. Now, that's stupid, I know. Why do they want high-penetration ammo on the street? Because the dummies that pass this law don't know anything about guns or ballistic, and they you know, have this mythology in their mind. Oh, it goes in, you know, small hole and comes out the size of a, you know, five-gallon bucket or, you know, just this idiotic crap that, that runs through their head. But we know the truth is that a hollow-nose is very effective because it delivers the energy transfer to the intended target and you can avoid over-penetration issues. But that's not of concern to the legislature. So... You do not want to carry hollow nose. How and and now with the ammo registration, they're even marking. Even though the law didn't call for it, they're even denoting when you get registered of your purchase, whether you've purchased hollow nose ammunition or not. But I want to point out that the state police on their website, where it has a firearm. Uh, FAQ, right there. It has an FAQ. It's question number 13. And it says, I'm not a police officer. Are hollow points legal for me to possess? And then the state police say, yeah, it's legal to possess and purchase in your home, as we just discussed. And they're also legal to use at a gun range, again, we discussed. And you can travel with them to and from such places. Yeah, that's all true. But then it says, and I think you'll like this, ammunition lacking a hollow cavity at the tip, such as those with a polymer filling, are not considered to be hollow point ammunition. An example of this can be seen with the Hornaday Critical Defense slash Critical Duty, comma, Corbon Powerball slash Glazer Safety Slug, and Nosler Incorporated Defense Ammunition, end quote. That is directly from the state police website that that ammunition, critical defense, critical duty, Powerball, Glazer Safety Slug, and Nosler Defense Ammo are not hollow nose and are not under the prohibition, even though they may perform similar to how a hollow nose performs, you have a statement from the state police to this effect. Now, let me just say, I had a very famous case on this. Roosevelt Twine was his name. And Roosevelt was charged. He's a security guard, and guess what he had? Hornaday ammo. He had that critical defense ammo. And he got charged, even though he had a carry license, and he had crit with, un with hollow nose possession. Charged with the very thing that the state police say really. Now, we... We won for him, and we were able to show precisely that the state police said that they themselves say it's legal, but it still took a fight. So even though number 13 here says it's okay, and I understand desire to have it, you still need to know that there may be some risk because, again, the police aren't educated in the gun laws and what things are or not lawful. They look at statutes and say, oh, this looks like that, so they charge. 
if you're going to carry these any of these rounds, I would suggest, you know what, go to the FAQ of the State Police website, download question 13, keep it in the car with you, keep it in your pocket, whatever, if you're carrying this ammo. Because if it's ever a question, you can take it out and say, look, this is right from the State Police website. And it's legal, right here. Boom. So that's something that you could find helpful. And like I said, I've had cases of literally arrests being made even though my client is completely innocent and then we fight it out. And it ain't just about hollow nose. Boy, I see false charges all the time. False charges on what's an assault firearm. False charges because they don't know what exemptions are. False charges because it's just an overwhelming amount of false and wrong charges being made against honest gun owners. And why? Because New Jersey's law is so convoluted, so confusing, so ridiculous that law enforcement themselves can't even wrap their mind and uh, around it and get it straight. And so it's, you know, arrest the folks and ask questions later. And even when they call the prosecutor, the prosecutors, the duty prosecutors, they don't know. They don't know. They haven't studied this the way gun owners have studied it. Gun owners often know the law better than law enforcement most of the time, frankly, is when I see it. Most of the time. They know it better. But that won't stop you from being arrested. So take the precautions. One of the other issues that I'm seeing a lot of, we're getting a lot of questions about, and that is carry permits issued out of Monmouth County. Judge Oxley has issued numerous carry permits now, and they contain this bizarre quasi-restriction language on the back of the permit that says, this is on your carry permit now, that restricted from carrying in any place prohibited by federal, state, or local law. Okay, so what? Duh, that's a big duh. Of course you're prohibited from carrying when it's restricted and prohibited from carrying. Why do you even have to state it? But it states it, but that's not the problem. The problem is the next part. And shall comply with the provisions of NJSA 2C39-6G. Well, 2C396G has to do with the transport of firearms. And that transport of firearms under 396G says that firearms shall be carried unloaded and contained in a closed and fastened case, a gun box, securely tied package, or locked in the trunk of the automobile which is being transported and the course of travel shall include only such deviations as reasonably necessary under the circumstances. Well, that about wipes out the utilitarian value of having a carry license, doesn't it? Now, the first part of this statute says any weapon being transported under paragraph 2 of subsection B or subsection E or paragraph 1 and 3 of subsection F of the exemptions but then it specifies the mode of carry. Well, those subsections are subsections of exemptions. And those are the exemptions that if you don't have a permit, you have to rely upon. Yet here's a permit 
that's saying you have to rely upon exemptions and a mode of carry. It's utterly confusing. It makes absolutely no sense to put it there. All it's doing is causing risk to the permit holder to be interpreted that even carrying in your vehicle, carrying anywhere outside of the exemptions, because those exemptions, subsection E is possession in your home or place of business. Subsection F includes the hunting or target range exemptions. You're outside of those, then it seems to imply right away, hey, you're doing that. You have to have it cased, unloaded. But that's not the point of the carry permit because the carry permit means you don't need exemptions. You're exempt on the face of the statute. So it's creating havoc. And it's just flat out stupid. Yet there it is. And person after person has been had this burden placed on their permit without any rhyme, reason, or explanation. It doesn't make sense. And it creates this ambiguity and uncertainty. And it flies in the face, by the way, of the Bruin decision which makes it clear that these type of restrictions when you have a carry is you can carry public, public carry. That's what's protected. Now, granted, you can have a permit system, and that's what we have. But once you have the permit, you cannot do this. And you want proof? Look at the injunction. What did the injunction enjoin? Vehicle, possession and vehicle, where New Jersey wanted to mandate that if you transported in a vehicle, you had to have your gun locked and unloaded. But that's a separate law from the 39.6G exemption that the Monmouth County permits are now trying to require on the folks that have been granted them. But, of course, it accomplishes the same thing. It's barring you from transporting, barring you from your vehicle, barring you unconstitutionally in the face of Bruin and not one but two injunctions in federal court dealing with this topic, though not specifically this statue that's on the back of this permit. So it is a problem. If you have a permit such as this, where this language has been placed there, creating a risk to you and your ability to carry, There's basically three options that you have. Number one, you can voluntarily give up your carry permit and reapply for a new one because, thankfully, judges are no longer the issuing authority, thank God, for just this kind of problem. And chiefs cannot put restrictions on. And when you get your chief-issued or superintendent-issued license, it will not have this nonsense on it. It cannot be placed on it. The new law, as bad as it is, at least got judges out of the permit business who've been burning law-abiding citizens out of their gun rights since the beginning of the carry license system 50, 60 years ago. Second thing you could do is you can wait for your permit to expire. They last for two years, and when you get your new one, you'll get a ju- you'll get a non-judge-issued one, again, not having restrictions. And the third option is you can try to go back to court to get it changed. But that's an expensive litigation proposition. Um, You can do that, and we are doing that for some. But uh, 
it's a shame that, again, you can't exercise your rights within the constraints of the Constitution and not have to deal with these issues, but here you go. It's there. We're in this transition period, and this is the last hurrah, I guess, of some judges here to mess with permit holders. But uh, we've got to uh, end this practice. The new law is in place, and eventually every carry will be a straight carry. But those that applied prior to December 22nd, before the law took effect, the new law, they still are under the old system of the judge issuing and those folks uh, tending to have all these problems. And this is yet another example. This is why gun laws don't protect honest citizens from criminals. They protect criminals from honest citizens. Gun Lawyer is a Counterthink Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. Reach us by emailing evan at gun.lawyer. The information and opinions in this broadcast do not constitute legal advice. Consult a licensed attorney in your state.